Good morning, good day, or good evening. My name is Eli Rowe, and this is the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. Good Thursday, witches, and thank you for joining me. We have a really fun topic on tap for today. We're going to talk about cauldrons, which is such a stereotypical witch trope. I love it. But in addition to that, it's also a really useful tool in the craft, and we're going to explore that. So, But first, I wanted to read an email from a witch who wrote because she was very concerned about her friend. Um, Eli, hello, I hope you're doing well and you and your family are having an amazing summer. I have a question for you. Is there a way to tell if someone has been cursed or hexed? I have a dear friend whose string of bad luck seems to be way more than just that. Every time he makes strides forward, he gets shoved back. He's gotten into multiple car wrecks, had his business broken into, and can't seem to even keep a pair of glasses intact. He's at the point of almost hopelessness. This has been going on for a couple, uh, the past couple of years. I want to do a protection jar as well as something to change his luck around, but I'm wondering if there's something I can detect first so that it clears any negativity that's clinging to him. Any thoughts? Thanks as always for being you. Blessed be Jay. Um, my response was essentially as follows. So the good news is that very few of us are ever properly cursed. Now, if this friend knows some witches who he may have crossed, then it is possible, um, although kind of unlikely. But if he's gone through an ugly breakup or a divorce, if there's some ugly family or custody drama, if he's feuding with a neighbor or coworker or something like this, then those people could just be thinking daggers at him so strongly that it is in fact affecting him. And this is a much more likely scenario, but either way, if it's a curse or if it's just general, you know, bad juju that's being thrown at him, we can deal with it. Um, So first his home needs to be cleansed either with smoke or with something like Florida water in a spray bottle if smoke is not an option. So, you know, we're going to open the windows, clear it all out from the back of the house towards the front. I would also use Florida water on a fingertip, just dip it right in the Florida water and draw protective symbols on his windows and exterior doors. And then he himself needs to take a cleansing bath or shower. And I advised a switch that she can make some cleansing water for him to use for this process by steeping rosemary, rue, and basil in hot water until it cools and then straining the herbs out. And if she can use moon water for this, that's even better. But unfortunately, I didn't see her email until the morning after this past full moon, which was a bummer because that would have been a great opportunity to charge some water just for this purpose. But anyway, he needs this cleansing water and he's got to wash from head to toe. Alternatively, I did advise this witch that she could offer to wash his feet and then anoint them with oil. Um, Something simple like olive oil is fine. But this is a very intimate rite to perform for somebody, and it can get very emotional. Um, And this is a really powerful way to rid someone of negative negative energy and curses. Um, It's that strong. But as I said, it's a lot to ask somebody who may not be open to it. Um, Either way, once the cleansing of the home and the person is done, we're going to place that protection jar somewhere on his property, preferably buried somewhere where it can't be removed or disturbed. 
And I really loved this question because this is the kind of thing that we can easily deal with using witchcraft and it's something that we will likely all need to address at some point, whether it's a proper curse or just some bad luck. So thank you, Ms. J, for that question. And then I had one more for the day, one more question. And this one's a bit heavier. The The subject matter is, is pretty heavy. But I feel like it addresses a lot of these complicated family dynamics that are something that, you know, again, a lot of us can relate to. And I wanted to read it. Um, Hi, Eli. You always welcome questions, so I'm going to ask you a big one. I hope that's okay. So let me preface by saying all medical, medicinal, psychiatric, therapy, etc. is being attended to and I'm doing very well. So no worries on that front. I have a wonderful husband who has loved me for over 20 years and two great teenage kids who truly make the world a better place. So here goes. I grew up in a very abusive home, abuse of all sorts, both physical and mental. I really don't know how I did it because my memory is very patchy before the age of 25, but somehow I was fully out of there by the time I turned 19. Although I was on my own, I was still in contact with my parents as I was stuck in the dutiful daughter stereotype. My parents remained abusive assholes even from afar. I limited my contact as much as possible, but it wasn't until I had kids that they started being nicer to me. By nicer, I mean that they only made me cry about once a year, and they were never never mean to my kids. But I never gave that an opportunity to, uh, but I never gave that an opportunity to happen, as I never left them alone with them. This past year, though, I went through a major depressive episode, and I couldn't figure out why. I'm in my mid forties. I live exactly where I want to live. I have a great job and a fantastic husband and kids. So why was I going through this? And then through therapy, I realized that it was because I had been talking to my mom a couple times a week for months. The pandemic made my parents clingy because they lost most of their social network and I was one of the very few people still picking up the phone. I started gradually pulling away and I'm now back to low contact, but I really need to be no contact to move on with my life and fully heal. Honestly, I feel like some sort of lizard who has shed away her too old skin and has finally grown into herself and I'm seeing things clearly for the first time. I don't want to have a conversation about any of this with them because they're not capable of understanding why I want them to leave me alone. We've been down that road before and it leads to alternating love bombing me with presents they can't afford and calling me at work to scream at me about how awful I am. I'm not down for this drama. I just want peace and quiet. So my question is, is there a spell or ritual I can use to get them to leave me and mine alone? A cord cutting seems too hostile. I don't want them to be unhappy, even though their happiness is not my responsibility. I actually want them to have a happy and active life. I just want them to be happy and active without me for a good long while so I can fully move on. I feel like a spell or ritual may be the way to go here, but I haven't found anything that seems to fully meet my needs. Do you have any ideas? Thank you very much for taking the time to read this and for any advice. I truly appreciate it. P.S. I listened to your episode about signs this morning. Your timing on that was impeccable for me. What I didn't say in my narrative is that the Morrigan was heavily involved with this. A long while back, I was feeling her pull, but I politely declined her because I was afraid of her. Cue six months of mental health hell, PTSD nightmares, approximately a million crows, etc. But I pulled through, got the help I needed, and I'm going th- and, gro- and going through that has made me stronger. 
I feel like the best version of myself and I'm not putting up with any sort of abusive shit anymore. I'm still kind, but I'm definitely no longer anyone's doormat. Never again. This witch asked to remain anonymous, but I mean, do you see what I mean by heavy? So um, there's a lot going on here. Um, But I had this to say. First and foremost, I was really glad to hear that her psychological and medical needs were being addressed because I would have suggested starting there anyway. And this witch is fortunate to have an amazing support system. She's got a loving family, a wonderful life, a great husband, and she can take credit for building all of this herself. And although I understand that she's reluctant to do a cord cutting, I did want to present it as a possibility from a different perspective because the fact is simply speaking to her mother once a week took an enormous toll on her health that woman is literally an energy vampire she is very literally feeding off our witch whether she knows it or not so when I suggest a cord cutting It's not for the parents, it's for the witch. It's to cut off their access to her and her emotional energy so that even if she does have to speak to them for some reason or another and they start in on their bullshit trying to push her buttons and get a response, it cannot affect her mental or emotional or physical state. So I do hope that she will reconsider. But to her actual question, what I recommended was a banishing. And I know it sounds ugly, but it isn't. She doesn't want anything bad to befall these parents. She isn't trying to make them miserable. And they don't need her help for that anyway. They're doing it all on their own. We just want them to lose interest in contacting her. We want to protect her from the nastiness and the soul sucking. And we're going to work a spell to simply make them fuck off. This work is best supported by the waning moon. Um, And incidentally, the moon is waning until the 28th of July next week. So the timing is right. And for this work, she'll need a glass jar. Any size will do, but a small one is all that we need. We're going to get a candle as well and some salt. Any salt works fine. And some vinegar. Any vinegar is fine. And and we're going to add a few plant allies to this work. So some common herbs that correspond with this kind of banishing work include basil, garlic, rosemary, cloves, nettle, uh, pepper, thistle, pine, and fern. And I just advised her to use as many of these as she can get her hands on. And she will also write her parents' names and birth dates on a small scrap of paper. And I loved learning that this witch has been working closely with the Morrigan through all of this because the Morrigan is an excellent ally for banishing. So it'll be really beneficial to invoke her in this work. And then our witch will spend a little time working on the words that she'd like to speak while she's doing her spell. And the verbiage can be as eloquent or as plain spoken as she'd like to make it. But, you know, as an example, a simple phrase like, you know, mom and dad's first and last names. I am out of your sight. I am out of your mind. By the power of the Morrigan, you will leave me alone. Easy as that. Uh, We want something that is direct, that is easy to remember, um, because she's going to be repeating it while she assembles her jar and then completes the spell. So once all of these elements are gathered, we're going to light the candle and start putting it together. And I suggest starting this work at dusk, because that is the waning of the day, and banishing work is best performed as the day and the moon grow darker. 
So first, we fold the scrap of paper with mom and dad's names in half away from us. And then we're gonna turn it once to the left and fold it away from us again. And then drop it in the jar and cover it with a good layer of salt. Then pour just a little bit of vinegar over the salt, just maybe a capful of that vinegar. And then follow the vinegar with a spoonful of each of the herbs that were chosen one at a time. And then screw the lid onto that jar good and tight and get our candle and pour a little wax from this candle onto the edge of, of the lid to seal it. Now we don't have to completely cover the lid with wax. We see that a lot in um, like spell jar workings on Instagram. Um, but for sealing the spell, it's not really necessary to do the whole lid. Several drips around the edge of the lid are gonna suffice. And then I told her, get in your car, drive this jar away from your property and bury it somewhere. Once it's buried, drive home and don't look back. And then the entire time we're performing this spell from the time you light this candle until, until you turn your back on the buried jar, keep repeating that phrase. Whisper it, say it out loud, repeat it in your mind, whatever. Just keep repeating it. And then the very last thing that she will want to do, but not the least important, is to make an offering of thanks to the Morrigan for her part in this work, for supporting our witch and actively communicating with her and taking an interest in this situation. One thing the Morrigan loves to do is to get us out of our comfort zones. So it's going to be very interesting indeed to see what happens next for this witch. And that's that. Um, and, and, you know, you, maybe you can see why I felt like it was important to read this one out. You know, again, so many of us have to deal with this kind of thing. And spell work is just one more tool in the toolbox after we have exhausted all of our other options. Okay, so now on to the topic of the day. Cauldrons, cauldrons and witches, cauldrons and witches. You know, we go together like tigers and stripes. And of course, you can be a witch without one. You can do plenty of great magic without one, but you know, adding it to the arsenal is a really great way to get more mileage out of the craft. And a cauldron is so versatile, there's no reason not to have one if you have the means. And that's really the only barrier to having and using a cauldron. They're not cheap. And as a witch who is well aware of the state of the economy and the cost of living, I wanna come out the gate saying that not being able to afford a proper cauldron is a perfectly valid reason not to buy one. As I said, they're not necessary. But if you're so inclined and if you do have the means, they are easy to find at your local occult shop or online. You can get them from Etsy in a pinch. And generally what you'll find are these kind of mini cauldrons. They're maybe four inches in diameter. And they've got little feet that lift them above whatever surface they're sitting on, which is a nice feature. If you burn something in them, then you won't leave a little scorch mark on your tabletop. Um, and they've got a lid. Now, if you're really ambitious or just have money to burn, you can certainly get a full-size cauldron. Or if you're like me, you'll just buy a nice cast iron Dutch oven. Home Depot actually has a decent one right now that I just saw this past weekend. It's six quarts. And I, if memory serves, it comes in at just about $40. I have a small one and I also have a Dutch oven and they can be used for some of the same applications but sometimes one is definitely going to be preferable over the other. But I'll be really straightforward here. Mostly you just need the small one. Anything you might want the larger one for, you can get away with just using a cooking pot. Witches use what they have. 
Um, but there are a lot of historical examples of witches using cauldrons and plenty of pop culture references going all the way back to like Shakespeare's witches in Hamlet. You know, they were stirring a fat cauldron during the double, double toil and trouble couplet. Fun fact, um, I was in drama in high school and I played one of those witches in Hamlet. But my personal favorite usage of a cauldron is from the Celtic goddess Caridwen. Uh, Caridwen's cauldron contained a potion that she brewed nonstop for a year and a day in order to reach its full potency. And the first three drops of her potion would grant immense wisdom, and then the remainder of the brew was a deadly poison. One of the coolest aspects of the cauldron, in my opinion, is how easily it can be used for every kind of elemental magic. There is no element that can't be represented by some kind of cauldron work. So we're going to go through it because I really love elemental magic. My first episodes were about different ways to incorporate the elements into spell work because it's just too easy to give that work some extra power by aligning the type of spell that it is with the element that will best support it. So for example, fire magic. As we've said many times before, fire magic is great for giving a spell, you know, a quick start, a jolt, a kick. It's also really great for lust and sex magic because it's so representative of passion and sensuality. And because all cauldrons are iron, they're fireproof. So we can put a fire beneath our cauldron to heat up the contents, or we can put a fire right inside the cauldron itself. We can use our cauldron for burning sigils, um, petition papers, herbs, and so on. Now, water magic in the cauldron can be achieved in a couple different ways. And one of them is charging moon water. And I'll be totally honest, I don't personally use my cauldron for this too often because I like to drink my moon water. Um, my favorite thing to do is make coffee, like my morning coffee with full moon water. And charging moon water in the cauldron means I'd have to leave it uncovered. And I'm just a little sketched out by the idea of, you know, dust and floaties getting in there overnight. But it's a great way to make moon water for other purposes other than drinking. Moon water that you're going to use in spell work, or if you're going to use moon water to draw protective sigils to make Florida water, if you're going to make a spray with your moon water, these are all great reasons to use your cauldron. And your cauldron's energy is constantly being charged and amplified every time you use it for any kind of spell work. So it's an excellent vessel for creating moon water. Your water is going to get all of the energy from the moon phase and also all of that residual cauldron energy. It's such a powerful boost for your work. Oh, and you know what? I do use the cauldron for moon water when I'm making holy water. Um, I, I mentioned it before, I think, but I am actually a non-denominational ordained minister, so I'm qualified to make holy water, and I do. And when I make holy water, I use moon water for that process, and I make that moon water in my cauldron. So there you go. <laughs> um, water scrying is also a great way to use your cauldron. Water scrying, if you're not familiar, it's, um, it's like crystal gazing. And you can use any dark vessel to hold the water. Any dark colored bowl is going to work just fine. But again, your cauldron's going to be able to show you a lot more than any old Tupperware will because of all of the energy that it holds. And so scrying is typically done in a darkened room, um, usually by candlelight. 
um, and just kind of run your fingertips through the surface of the water to stir it up, make waves, make rivulets, and then look deeply into the water and see what sort of shapes, symbols, or messages may appear there. Water scrying is best achieved when you've got a question or a concern in mind, and this is true for most divination. So just meditate for a few moments on your issue before you begin, and then see what visual cues you may receive. Sometimes it's not something that you see with your physical eyes, but your spiritual eyes. And practice makes perfect, like all the rest of it, but the cauldron is a really great tool for holding the water for that purpose. It's got that nice, dark, iron interior, and again, its energy is just so powerful. And since we're on the topic of using our cauldrons for divination, we can also use our cauldron for air magic divination by smoke scrying. For any spell work that requires burning something, um, we can read symbols in the smoke that arises from the cauldron while it does its work. So if we're burning, you know, petition papers or sigils or what have you, if we get a nice thick rope of smoke coming from our cauldron, we might interpret that as a sign that our spell is working well and that we can expect it to work as intended. And then conversely, if there's not much smoke at all, or if it's very wispy or very weak, then we might either want to temper our expectations or try to find out if there's anything that's blocking our manifestations or our intentions or our goal for that spell and see if we have work to do um, for breaking those blockages down. And of course, incense is the gold standard of air magic. And we can not only burn incense in the cauldron, we can also read that smoke as well. We can read it for shapes and symbols and mental images again, much like we did with the water scrying. And your results will depend on whatever your issue or question is for your divination work. But again, adding the cauldron into the equation is going to give you even better results than you'll get just from an old incense stick. Not that incense sticks aren't great for smoke reading because they are. Um, And then finally, using your cauldron for earth magic. Now this is going to be very like kitchen witch vibes. You may use your cauldron for brewing your potions, for steeping your infused oils, for mixing herbal blends, your homemade Florida water, creating a nice simmer pot. And all of these are definitely earth magic. Anything to do with herbs, plants, fruits is earth magic. And this is no exception. And I would also argue that using your cauldron to cook for yourself or for your loved ones is also earth magic. Earth magic is associated with earthly things, such as health and physical wellness. And of course, food falls under that designation. In fact, you know what? One of my favorite witchy books for kids, Striga Nona, written by Tommy DePaola and first published in 1975, it tells the story of a village witch who had a magical cauldron that made endless spaghetti. And I'm not going to say too much about this story in case you've never read it, but The cauldron in this story very much was a tool that was used to provide, to provide sustenance for the village. And ultimately it brought all of the townspeople together in a way. And I think that's a really good example of earth magic. It's just a simple children's story. Um, And of course it spent a good deal of time on several banned book lists for having the audacity to present witches and witchcraft in a positive light. But you know, that just adds to its mystique in my opinion. And there you have it. There are plenty of ways to use your cauldron and nothing feels quite so witchy as, you know, heavy smoke just 
billowing out while you chant over your cauldron. It's a whole vibe, but it's also functional and you just really cannot beat that combo. And this is where I will leave you for today. Thank you so much for being here. We will talk again next week. My name is Eli Rowe, and this has been the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. content of this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional, mental, or medical health care and diagnosis. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only.